1: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Yet another volatile week for stocks as the Fed rates in Russia all impact investor sentiment. We're debating the road ahead for your money, as we always do with the investment committee. Joining me for the hour this Friday, Stephanie Link, Jason Snipe, Shannon Sakosha, and Josh Brown. Let's check the markets, which remain, as you know, very much on edge. I'll take you to the numbers right now. Russia, Ukraine headlines, they continue to dominate. We're watching Fed speak closely. Fight to safety continues a little bit. There's the 10-year note yield. It's under 2%. 193 is where it currently sits. And Shannon, that's really What I'm summing up is kind of the great unknowns. What happens, if anything, over this long weekend with Russia and Ukraine and what that means potentially for a Tuesday morning open? I think we all have to be open-minded about anything potentially happening there that could impact the trade next week. Uh, The Fed question, unknown, really. Uh, It's hard to know, really, for the next month until the March meeting. All we have now, a bunch of Fed speak, you know, a hawkish Bullard yet again. What do you make of it all and, and how do you navigate the market on this Friday?
2: Well, thanks for having me on today, Scott. I, I think one of the things that we're most concerned about is that there are really two time periods that we're speaking about. And I know we talk a lot about our time horizon on this show, but this very near term period, which which I'll define as the next six weeks or so. I think you've summed up the concerns and the risks very eloquently in terms of what the market is facing. We've got the, the ongoing concerns about inflation and the Fed, um, this storm that we're uh, experiencing in terms of the reset of high valuation stocks, and now we have a, a military conflict, and so I think what many of us have been doing is going back and looking at the potential impact of you know a military action, uh, the potential impact of interest rate hikes, and we see that 12 months out, um, typically these you know both of those scenarios result in higher prices um, for uh, for equities, and so the problem is is that nobody cares about 12 months from now; they care about right now, and how should I be adjusting in an environment where You know what? Bonds didn't protect capital in the month of January. We aren't receiving those benefits from diversification, particularly if you're further out on the yield curve, to your point. And so how do you think about navigating? Do you take and put cash on the sidelines here. Well, cash isn't earning you anything either. And so I think one of the other things that we've been really focused on is what are the secondary derivatives of something like the Ukraine-Russia conflict? Does that potentially minimize the benefits of economic growth in Europe because they're gonna be so beset with inflation coming into this year? Those are the things that, when I look at the portfolio, there's areas of interest. Um, There's a balance between cyclicals and some of the the big-name technology stocks. There are additional exposures in areas like small cap and international. And I have to think about all of those things because the opportunities are clearly there. But can you remain steadfast in your portfolio and navigate the next six weeks in order to set yourself up for a second half of the year, which I believe will be markedly different from the experience we've had thus far.
1: Okay, so cash may not get you, Josh, much of a return. It will, however, get you a good night's sleep because there are a lot of things to worry about. Tom Lee has a note out to try and ease some of those fears today. He said bond hawks are winning this battle but losing the war. And if you cut to the end of his commentary, we still see upside to stocks before month end. Um, It's an interesting call given all that's on the table, Josh, in front of us and so much uncertainty. And we could say it till we're, you know, blue in the face. I mean, the market doesn't like uncertainty. We know that. And this is a special kind of uncertainty. One is the here and now Russia, Ukraine. The other is the, you know, not only here, but in the weeks and months ahead. And that's the Fed. It's hard to game it all out.
3: Thanks, Scott. Yes, I am wearing lilac. So I think the big picture thing here that's taking place that maybe is more important than talking about any individual stock or any individual earnings reaction is uh, the, the sway that options trading holds over this market. So like talking to somebody that's like a, like a mutual fund manager and they pick their favorite 50 stocks. And like, what's your favorite stock right now? Like, none of that matters when you look at the notional amount of derivatives being traded against the indices and uh, all the dealer gamma hedging and all of the uh, market structure and positioning stuff. And so people are like, oh, what's going on with um, what's going on with the semis today? Why? It's irrelevant. We're we're on an options expiration day. And go back. This has been going on since 2021. And actually becoming exacerbated with every passing month, the two days leading into options expiration, the day of expiration, and then the following day, you're just getting these incredibly jarring moves in the market. And this is how you have a stock that gets cut in half, reports earnings, misses by a penny, and gets cut in half again. How could that be happening with $100 billion-plus market cap companies? It's happening every week in in this earnings season. It's really... Um, mind-blowing to watch. So, the individual fundamentals of companies is not important right now. And as I've been talking about, I think this is probably the sixth week I've been saying it, we're in a bear market, we're in a correction, and it's not over yet. And the way you kn- you know it's not over is because of the daily fireworks that we're seeing um, in the growth areas of the market. So, I think there's been this vibe shift that's gotten very defensive. I think... Uh, we're we're kind of in this place where people are starting to prize things like near-term cash flow versus total addressable market. Uh, how long that continues, who knows? But that is the present condition of, of uh, what we're going through, and that's why you see people like, oh, I think I'll take a shot on this stock. It's down thirty percent from its high. A week later, it's down fifty percent from a high. Nothing fundamentally has changed, but you're really fighting an uphill battle. Even trying to pick your spots among the hardest hit names, there seems to be no floor for those stocks that were sure. so popular a year ago. And I don't know why anybody would want to fight with that right now. I don't understand the, the purpose so, of, of like wading into that. It just It's not helping anybody. So, Steph,
1: how can it, in quotes, it, um, the correction, the bear market, how can it possibly be over uh, at the very least, beyond the first hike from the Fed coming in March, we know it's coming. Yeah. It's a month or so you know, a couple of days less than a month from from today. Um, Got to get through that. Got to hear from the Fed. We know more rate hikes are coming uh, after that. Does that mean that for the foreseeable future, we're in this kind of volatile trading environment? And I don't mean weeks. I mean months.
4: Well, it's definitely gonna be choppy trading in the next month for sure. Um, More volatility. We have to digest, yes, the Fed. We also have to digest inflation because the headlines were ugly, CPI, PPI, but underneath the surface, it's broadening out substantially. I mean, when you have, we've talked about rents and wages and and those are going up and those are stickier parts of inflation, but we had a services inflation number, services, which has barely gotten going, right? Of 7.8% in the PPI report. Goods up 13.1 percent. So the Fed, they're behind the curve. They know it. We all know it. The big question to me, Scott, is does the Fed, do they want to get back to neutral, which would be four hikes, right? Or do they want to be more restrictive? And do they have to be, right? So those are the big question marks. And I think we're, we're going to find out more in March where they stand. Um, I don't think enough attention is getting uh, placed on actually some pretty interesting economic data. And you know I always focus on big picture too, right? So retail sales up 13 percent. Industrial production blew it away. Existing home sales are up four to the last five months. Pending home sales, which is a leading indicator for housing, up also very nicely. So. I think we have to say we don't know a lot of what the Fed is going to do. We do not know what's going to happen with inflation. And if you listen to any company, this earnings report, nobody said it's getting better. No one. And no one really has a lot of visibility, so I think we really do have to wait. And unfortunately, now we're all data dependent, right? Every single data point that comes out, we're going to totally focus on um, and obsess about. And so what I'm trying to do, I am a long-term investor. What I'm trying to do is we just got through earnings season for the most part, and those companies that actually beat – raise guidance have good free cash flow have good earnings and are trading at reasonable valuations mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. those are the ones that I'm actually looking at I still like reopen very much I would be buying Expedia I would be buying wind resorts Hilton all three of them pretty solid numbers um, and then I would look at something like a coke or something like a McDonald's uh, something like an American Express okay. a GXO there are so many companies out there that just said really good things that if you get them on sale you could leg into them, you know, maybe not a lot, but a little bit and see how it goes and, until we get hey, more Steph? information on the Fed.
1: Hey, Steph, uh, forgive me for uh, interrupting yeah. you. Uh, I just want to throw up uh, shares of Amazon, if we could. Part of the conversation we're having, and, and Josh mentioned this in, in some degree of the degree to which some stocks have pulled back and whether some have simply just pulled back um, too much, And are about to have a swing. Um, Dan Loeb's Third Point has released its fourth quarter uh, investor letter, so the fourth quarter from 2021, in which he argues that Amazon is trading at a 30 percent discount and is near a turning point. I just didn't want to sit on that news. And we can discuss this uh, for a moment and then get back to the other conversation. Uh, But again, this is a bullish outlook Um, From a very astute investor who takes a look at the landscape right now, particularly in mega cap tech, which has not been immune to the pullbacks that we've seen in the market. Now, obviously, those stocks haven't pulled back anywhere close to the degree that some of those higher valuation stocks uh, and no earnings, if you will, stocks have have put forth. Um, I'm wondering, Jason Snipe, I can't remember. I believe that you own Amazon and forgive me if if you don't, but I'm sure you have an opinion On this view by Dan Loeb, that it's trading, as he says, at a 30 percent discount and is nearing a turning point. Yeah. Yeah. So I do, Scott. And, you know, to echo a lot of the points that the
5: committee has made just from a macro perspective, it is, you know, a foggy area right now. I mean, almost 75 percent of the S&P has reported at this point. You know, typically earnings tend to be a catalyst for for growth and, and earnings in the market. Uh, you know, we, we have a geopolitical issue that is is very concerning with the Ukraine crisis, you know, that we're seeing. And then we have a Fed that uh, we're trying to figure out what the move is going forward. Right. So there, there's a lot of uncertainty around how much and how fast, you know, the velocity, you know, in which that they they tighten, I think, is concerning for the markets. But as it relates to Amazon, you know, when I look at the cloud and, and just. The cloud businesses, whether it's Azure, whether it's AWS, you know, and some of the other cloud businesses out here, I think that's a huge opportunity uh, from a technological standpoint. And, of course, a lot of these big mega tech names have not felt the pain like the rest of the market has. Not that they're not immune to some of what we've already discussed from, from a uh, macro perspective, but I, I do like Amazon here. You know, I, I, I like Microsoft as well. I think those are some of the – those are the mm-hmm. two – Megacat names that I think could continue
1: to ride out some of the turbulence that we're feeling right now. You you know, Josh, I mean, Loeb is obviously looking at a lot of what a lot of other people are looking at. And the fact that you have a stock that's near 20 percent off of it's high for the year um, and it it has pulled back and you own it as well. Herein lies the market in which we find ourselves. A lot of stocks are down a lot. And at some point they become too good to turn your eye to, right? that you, you have to at some point view the highest of quality stocks as having a good entry point down 20% off the year high. Uh,
3: Dan Loeb is one of the most successful stock picking uh, fund managers of our lifetime and having him recognize the, the value in Amazon as a, as a shareholder at Amazon makes me feel good. Um, I've frequently made money in stocks that he's come into Um, Unlike a lot of his uh, contemporaries, he doesn't do macro tourism. He doesn't wade into debates about what the Fed should or shouldn't do. I think he focuses on finding companies where either they're undervalued and he can help or they're undervalued and the market on its own will recognize that. So I don't know which case this will be, but uh, I, I, I don't know anything about what he's saying other than I agree with it if he thinks the stock is underpriced. But here's the thing, though. So what? So uh, I think the company already is worth uh, uh, $5,000 a share. It doesn't mean it's going to go there. If you look at AWS, it's $71 billion in revenue last year. So what, would, what multiple would you put on that as a standalone entity? Would you put 10 times sales on that? I think that's somewhat reasonable given the growth rate, the dominance. So could AWS be a standalone $700 billion company if you want to discount that back and say $500 billion standalone company day one? Uh, This is a $1.5 trillion market cap. So, like, is AWS worth a third of the market cap? There are so many moving parts in Amazon. It's incredible. Uh, And I think some of the parts alone, it's worth a lot more. Then you consider the logistics they're building out. They'll be the only company that has this logistics network to rival UPS and and, and FedEx. And what's that worth? I don't know. So there's, there's a great argument for Amazon to be higher. But so what? The market may decide it doesn't care for about any of the things I just said for the next year, the next six months. I don't know. Amazon hasn't moved since June of of 2020, uh, which is really remarkable considering how much the earnings have grown, the cash flow, the subscribers, uh, the the, the prime business. The growth has been explosive. The stock has not reacted to that. So uh, it's great that people are recognizing the value. The question becomes, when will the market actually care? And it takes a long time for that. Remember, we were having conversations about how cheap Apple was from 2010 to 2012. It wasn't until Icon got involved, started going out to dinner with Tim Cook, pushing him to raise the dividend, pushing him to do buybacks, that that value was unlocked. And the multiple on Apple tripled. Could that happen for Amazon? Maybe. It's not as cheap as Apple was then, but I'd love to see a re-rating. I'm just not convinced that we're going to see that anytime soon.
1: Shan, I I go back to the the point of, you know, the highest of high quality stocks being perceived to be on sale at the current time. That's a difference between some of the other kinds of growth stocks, which have come down by tremendous amounts, right? 50 percent off, just like in retail, if no one's buying and there are issues with the product. 50 percent off can quickly become 70 percent off. And that's happened to some of those types of stocks. But at some point, maybe the conversation becomes different when you look at an Amazon, for example, or the Microsofts or the Apples, the Googles, etc. And some today, by the way, are even looking at a meta like Jim Cramer and saying, OK, at two hundred and eight dollars. Now you got me. Now I'm interested. What about Amazon? You own that.
2: I do. Uh, If I could just if you humor me for a second, Scott, I just want to pick up on something both Josh and Steph mentioned, and it is related to where are you going to play defense in this environment. The biggest challenge right now is that a lot of these stocks that are pulling back significantly, not just the high flying stocks that you talked about on your show yesterday, but big cap tech. These were the defense, right? You, you know, historically you'd go to staples, you'd go to healthcare, you'd go to utilities for defense. There is no place to play defense. You talked about the 10-year. and so if I look at something like Amazon, and my assumption is, to Steph's point, that we're going to continue to have consumer spending uh, continuing to accelerate, that we're going to be able to digest those higher prices, that the housing market is going to continue to accelerate, that to Josh's point, we're going to get over this point where it doesn't. Seem, I mean, cash is actually losing you money in this inflationary environment so just to be clear about that so I think if you look at something like Amazon to to Josh's point you know 40% year-over-year growth for AWS at a 30% margin at some point, the inflation, the the discount rate, the percentage of their cash flows that are coming in the future, that really becomes less of an issue. And so when do we get that tipping point where energy and materials, which are holding up better, those are not defensive stocks, um, but they are benefiting right now in this environment? I think it's really important to just kind of take a snapshot of where we're at and say, this is a really difficult investing environment because there aren't a lot of places to hide. And so then you have to go back to where are the relative areas of opportunity because everything's going to be under pressure.
1: By the way, um, we need to go through the investor letter a a little bit more closely as well, which, frankly, it's just near impossible to do on live television as we're literally having this conversation uh, in in real time and trying to digest um, the comments here. But at least that's the headline from the most recent investor Judge, letter again saying, from Judge, third point
3: from, from Q I'm sorry he's yeah. saying he's saying AWS could be worth 1.5 trillion and that the rest of Amazon could be another trillion on top of that which is more aggressive than even what I was saying and I don't mm-hmm. know how he gets there but like that's that's the that's the headline if if there if a consensus forms around Amazon that AWS is worth that much uh, which I, I haven't seen a sell side note e- e- even come close to that. That's a big deal. So, all right. Well, we'll, we'll continue
1: certainly to, uh, to follow that. Uh, and look, certainly, you know, big name investors, speaking of um, topical today, given our conversation yesterday with ARC's Kathy Wood. You should know the ARK Innovation Fund, the ARKK, um, taking out its prior low today. Those stocks remain under considerable pressure, and we're going to get into some of the individual names in Kathy Wood's Innovation Fund. There's a look at at ARC down 58 percent, we'll call it, uh, off the year high. She was with us yesterday. She defended her stock picking prowess. She defended her research. She was defiant in terms of saying, yes, these stocks were in a bubble. And she claimed, Benny, are in deep value territory. Listen.
4: We believe our portfolios are extremely undervalued. You have to have a five-year investment time horizon. And if an investor is looking for uh, returns over the next quarter, the next two quarters, you know, we can't promise them. Nobody can promise them. That's a, a macro call these days. However, if you give us five years, I, I I will tell you, we are running a deep value portfolio.
1: Steph, she said, we right now have, quote, one of the most misallocations of capital in the history of mankind. Um, Conversations about valuation don't seem to to really matter with Kathy Wood. She maintains this five year time horizon. So checking her on a a lot of stuff like that remains difficult, right? Because it can always be the fallback. Well, our time horizon is five years. So who cares what the stock does now? If you buy these stocks Today, you're going to be supremely happy in five years because you've made a tremendous bet on innovation and anything but that or seeing it that way, you're you're simply missing the boat. I'd love to get your take on the points that she, she makes here about a lot of these stocks, which many of our viewers have owned and unfortunately have ridden down so far.
4: Yeah, I mean, anything can happen in five years time. That's impossible to gauge, right? So momentum is really good on the way up, but on the way down, you're catching a falling knife. There's no valuation support. And so when you're looking at price to sales, total addressable market, which I have also done in terms of trying to see big picture and where their market share uh, of certain companies can go, but but the market doesn't want that right now. They don't want the non-earners right now. There's no way to value these companies other than to think about out in five years what the markets are going to look like. And again, especially in technology, things can change on a dime. I mean, look, you go back to Amazon. It's actually trading at 45 times earnings. I think that's one of the cheapest it's been in a very long time. And that can't get out of its own way because because the investors in the market right now they're not rewarding high multiple stocks maybe they will especially if the economic growth slows maybe we get back into growth but right now I think these stocks there's no way of knowing how much they're going to go down and I hate to pile on because I do think she's very bright and I do believe in a lot of the things that she says however I don't even have a five-year time horizon I don't think that's a prudent way of, of investing quite frankly
1: I mean, if you if you if you just look at some of the the stocks, right, not everything is going to get a five year time horizon. There's just not enough patience to go around to sit on big losses and stay with the program. Um, You know, Josh, I I got Palantir sold about five million shares of Palantir. That's after loading up on it in recent months. And that's with an, an earnings report and a stock that's gotten absolutely obliterated. There it is, 63% off of its high. That's on Roku, which is in the Innovation Fund. Um, she defended it yesterday. That's a stock that's well off of its high. Look at that, 77.5%. That takes us to DraftKings, which is another stock that's absolutely getting a hammer today. You take all three of those in context of the greater... Kathy Wood's story, and, and I'm wondering what you make of it and the conversation that we had yesterday in which I know you heard all of it.
3: You know, there's a, there's a dynamic in play here that there really is no precedent for. One of the things that ARK is doing that's different from every other active manager in history that's ever gotten to $50 billion in assets is they're playing, uh, sh- they're playing poker with their cards face up every night. We know what all of ARK's trades were. We know what they're adding to. We know what they're selling. That's why you guys in the media cover cover ARK so much. So it actually was working in their favor on the way up. Um, They would announce that ARK just bought XYZ stock, and a whole army of retail traders would get that news from CNBC, Bloomberg, MarketWatch, Yahoo Finance, and that would almost act as amplification, driving more people to buy those stocks also. And so there was like this halo effect of ARK's latest buy is whatever. Um, so that was great. That, that went really well for a long time. Raise a lot of money that way. Raise your profile, uh, et cetera. But unfortunately, we're seeing that that same process works in the reverse. So everybody knows their holdings and everybody knows that there are redemptions and that there's money coming out. Not every day, but everybody understands that they're not raising $10 billion a month or $10 billion a quarter the same way they were in 21. So if you know that mm-hmm. and, and you're a trader, you have the ability to shoot against those holdings and you have the ability to, to even press shorts on those holdings, depending on your level of sophistication. So we've never seen that before. You think about a famous active manager like a Bill Miller. Um, it, even if he gets himself into trouble and, and, and the Leg Mason value trust has net redemptions, you don't really know what his holdings are or what his trades are. Because he's filing 45 days after the end of the quarter. So an, of a course. transparent, actively managed ETF has this additional handicap that works against it in an let environment me, like this. Right. And I don't know how that spiral ends, but it's tough. Josh, let me, let me get
1: to, to Jason Snipe. And I, I mean, I, I'm not sure to the degree of which, you know, which stock. I think you, you own Twilio, don't you? Yep, I do. So, right. I mean so you're yeah, in you're yeah, in the you're in the universe. Yeah. Yeah. So I own I own
5: Twilio and I also own Shopify. And what I would say is, you know, I'm, a lot of, a lot of the committee has already shared. I mean, obviously we're moving from a price to sales environment to a PE environment. And I won't get all caught up in in performance and what's happened or transpired, you know, over the last quarter or or year, you know, with ARC with the Arc funds, but I think it's all about, as she described, it is about the time horizons. Obviously, she's highly invested in innovation. I think Josh makes a great point on the transparency, you know, which I think mm-hmm. benefited from her on the way up. And then, obviously, on the way down, it's a little bit tougher. So I think that it's a tough environment right now to be in a lot of these names. And they're, they're long-duration assets, and we're in the short-duration market. So that's kind of where I'm at you know, from, from you know, my thoughts on that. But, of-
1: but you're still taking... I hear you, but you're still taking a long-duration view to the stocks that you've been riding all the way down? Because my next obvious question would be, why, why haven't you sold them? Now, I'm sure yeah. you wish you did much, much higher, yeah. um, but the yeah. mentality and the methodology at this point is what?
5: Yeah, so, Scott, I think for me, you know, as it relates to the high beta names, and I think I've said this on the show before, I mean, you absolutely need to right-size them. You know, as we move from one cycle, you know, in a very accommodative environment to a tightening cycle i mean you can't be in these long duration names market weight or overweight so we're underweight these names but for us as it relates to our benchmark you know we do we, we believe in the business models specifically of twilio and shopify uh so we're okay with that and it's obviously it's tough feeling the pain on the way down um but you ha- got to make sure you're right sizing these positions you know and understanding what's going on from a macro perspective
1: I want to hit DraftKings quickly and I want to come back with you, Josh, because you asked um, uh, quite specifically and I thought very well, by the way, um, a question of of Kathy Wood in which you brought up DraftKings, for example, and referred to them as a quote unquote bookie uh, and the lack of innovation leading some to question why a company that you say lacks innovation would be included in an innovation fund. Now, DraftKings down uh, substantially today And I don't know if you noticed this, but, you know, our our guru on this topic, Contessa Brewer, flagged the fact that they've introduced this made up metric, essentially, um, called contribution profit positive. Uh, Okay, gross profit minus marketing. Well, the whole the whole issue, Josh, with DraftKings is the spend on the marketing. And that's a legitimate relevant part of the business as they try and deal with competition and to gain new users and keep the existing users in which they have. Make the comment here. I'm curious as to what you have to say about all this.
3: Yeah, I I don't see it as innovative. Um, And it's okay. It doesn't have to be like these are not like futuristic companies. These are companies that are doing something that's as old as time. Go watch a go. Go watch a movie about ancient Rome. There's two guys in the stands. Uh, betting live or die on a gladiator like what what we're talking about is a company that's been able to take uh, that's been able to be positioned really well for every state in America eventually being knocked down like dominoes to allow sports betting and I think eventually it could be a good business but there are way too many players so if you watch an NBA game You'll see, like, uh, the Caesars commercial with J.B. Smoove. And then you'll see right. Bed MGM with the kid from Breaking Bad. And it's on and on and on. Sure. And so hey, Josh, the Josh magic Forgive me. here is favor, sorry, you- sorry,
1: sorry, sorry, sorry. Hold yeah. your thought. Just hold your thought for two seconds. I got some breaking news with Steve Leisman, our senior economics board. I'm going to come back to you, I promise. But, Steve, what do you have?
6: Yeah, Scott, the Federal Reserve now formally adopting new and stricter trading rules than they originally announced back in October. These rules are broader and include more asset classes. Uh, All of this happening in the wake of the Fed's uh, trading controversy that claimed two Fed presidents and uh, raised questions about holdings of the Federal Reserve Chairman and Vice Chairman. Okay, the new rules, we knew these were were prohibited. They can't own stocks, bonds, mortgage-backed securities, agency securities, or derivatives. They've now added cryptocurrencies and foreign currencies. Fed officials can't hold those. They cannot be involved in short selling. They cannot be involved in margin or hold commodities, and they cannot hold sector funds. The Fed also widened the officials subject to these new trading uh, prohibitions. It includes governors, presidents, first VPs, uh, research directors at the banks, FOMC staff. Other staff may yet be included in the future. They have 12 months to comply with these rules. They take effect May 1. The Fed, Fed officials are required to give Forty five days notice before purchasing assets and disclose any asset old, uh, changes within 30 days. So, Scott, this is pretty uh, uh, widening of the trading rules in the wake of those controversies that we've been reporting out. The Fed taking action and widening to stricter rules for the Federal Reserve. And and then they went on even further, Stephen. They said in
1: Congress, people and senators, they can't trade stocks anymore because that's totally ridiculous. <laughs> uh, oh, no, they didn't do that.
6: They didn't, they, no, they didn't you are correct that. to say that this. This really does cast a spotlight on what Congress can and should be able to do. As you know, they're debating that now. The Fed, I think these are among the most uh, strict uh, trading rules of any government agencies. They said that they looked around the world and they looked within other agencies here to broaden out these rules from what they first decided to do in October.
1: All right, Steve. I appreciate it. Thanks for the update. There. That's that's Steve Wiseman. Now, I I promise I'm going to get back to Josh Brown before we get out of here on this Friday. I do want to take a break. Check out this mystery chart. One financial stock. It's up nearly forty percent in a year. There was a bullish call on it today. Shannon owns it, which means we're going to trade it. We'll do that next.
0: Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started.
1: And do the Wall Street Journal headline and do the call of the day. All right. You're, you're you're looking at the uh, the markets right now uh, I and mean, you can see we're, we're in the red. The Dow S&P, uh, the Nasdaq, Russell 2000 are, are, are all negative. I do want to call your attention to a Wall Street Journal headline, which you may have uh, heard me discussing with our control room, live television. That's what goes on sometimes. Um, U.S. officials are warning of imminent Russian invasion of Ukraine with uh, tanks and fighter jets and cyber. Certainly, there's been a lot of talk about uh, diplomatic efforts uh, trying to uh, head off a war in Eastern Europe uh, between Russia and Ukraine. But at least right now, according to the Wall Street Journal, uh, U.S. officials are now warning of an imminent, that's the word that they use in their reporting, Russian invasion of Ukraine with tanks, fighter jets, and cyber. We're going to keep our eyes, obviously, on the market for any reaction there. There's already today been a a flight to safety, and you can certainly see that within, I'm not just talking about stocks, obviously, but you can see that within the 10-year note yield, uh, the yield has been ticking lower, people going into bonds, and thus the yield on the 10-year is now uh, right at 192. It spent the better part of the week at 2%, if not a few uh, ticks higher than that. But we'll keep our eyes peeled there uh, for any more headlines that come out and what the prospects could be uh, for the market. And Shannon, that's a critical question. I, I mentioned it at the, the very top of the program here of one of our, quote, great unknowns, one of which being what happens between Russia and Ukraine. Don't forget, it's a long weekend here. Uh, What does it all mean for what could happen on Tuesday if something, in fact, uh, does escalate over the weekend?
2: Well, and it's not a long weekend everywhere, right, Scott? This isn't a Christmas holiday situation. So, you know, we're going to be trading on the back of of activity that we're already going to see elsewhere. Um, You know, very, very concerning in terms of, you know, our allyship with our European um, colleagues. We have a significant amount of overhang in terms of energy prices, which are already elevated. Um, you know, the Europeans are in a, a very difficult spot. They are not, um, they are not energy uh, independent. And so, therefore, this could create uh, significant ripple effects um, for the European Union and for the U.K. from an economic perspective over the next couple of months, not to mention, you know, the potential military involvement from, from NATO countries.
1: Yeah. Uh, Jason Snipe, how close are you going to be watching this over the weekend? Um, Markets are already on edge.
6: Yeah.
5: Yeah, it's deeply concerning. Obviously, there's been a little bit of volleying back and forth. Earlier in the week, we heard some positive diplomatic uh, news. And then obviously, we're we're going back in the other direction. So um, with an expiration date today and options activity, you know, this is deeply concerning. So we'll be following all the markets and kind of seeing where we are. You know and how we need to position going forward but it's, it's obviously a concerning event
1: yeah stephanie link in, in managing a portfolio uh you know with a lot of stocks with sensitivity to uh issues like this how, how are you watching that
4: well it's it's challenging for sure and as i said earlier that it is a volatile situation um, there's a lot of unknowns just add this to the another unknown do we actually put out sanctions, number one? I mean, I would think we would. Um, yeah, and what is our response, right? And we'll hear about that at 4 o'clock today, unfortunately, from the president, uh, after the markets are closed. What does it do to the oil market? What does it do to the natural gas market, which has just been unreal in terms of what's going on there? And then what happens to demand destruction, right? I mean, if people start to pull back, that's something to watch. Um, so these are not good things for the market. These are not good things for risk on assets. But as Shannon said earlier, this you have to kind of think a little bit longer term as we get past this, and we will get past this. So let's get past the Fed first. It look, let's watch data on inflation. Let's watch data in general. And then we've got to watch this situation. But uh, I, I think for the long term, and my long term is like a year out Um, I'm trying to find some opportunities, good quality balance sheets, good dividends that are absolutely safe. Um, When they come down, uh, those are the kinds of things that I want to be buying. And and, and I think you get an opportunity over the long run.
1: Yeah. Um, So let's keep our eyes on the market uh, where we do look like we're uh, at the lows of the day. Dow's looking down about 300 points. Guys, let's let's show uh, the, the tabs if we can of where we are across the board. Again, the markets apparently, uh, at least modestly from where we were, because we were already in negative territory by about 200 points or so on the Dow. We're we're pushing a 300-point loss. There is that Wall Street Journal headline that we were bringing to you uh, moments ago. Uh, It crossed about nine minutes ago uh, that U.S. officials are now warning of uh, what the Wall Street Journal at least says is a, quote, imminent Russian invasion of Ukraine with tanks, fighter jets uh, and cyber. And, you know, Josh Brown, it was Jim Labenthal who we've discussed this issue with over the last several weeks. And he has made the point that this was so significant because everything else, for the most part, is known or at least accepted by the market. The fact that you are going to have a more aggressive Fed, that you are going to have a slew of interest rate hikes. Now, he makes the argument that you may not have The most aggressive Fed, as some people expect, that the real wild card, though, and the one catalyst that he was paying closest attention to was this very story. If there is war between Russia and Ukraine and what that could mean for the stock market.
3: Well, we know the initial reaction is not going to be uh, rallying, and dancing in the streets. But if you if you look at the last hundred years of how geopolitical events have affected the stock market, the record is way more mixed than you would otherwise have thought. Um, stocks fell 3% after Pearl Harbor and we gained that all back within a month. Um, at the onset of, of, of uh, you know, most major conflicts that the U.S. was involved with directly, um, you actually had stocks rally within a week or so. Um, and a lot of that has to do with military spending and uh, obviously the, the kind of inflation that comes with fighting a major crisis. But these little things that happen here and there, 2014, we did have a vol spike around Crimea. And, you know, you shouldn't shouldn't look at that and say that's a reason to not be invested. Um, The better way to think about that is, okay, if and when this happens, it's not going to be a fun day. Mm -hmm. But the market has a way of processing these things and getting past them. Um, The assassination of JFK stocks went up later that week. So I just I think it's not black and white how your portfolio might react. Let's get back to Steve Leisman
1: with some more breaking news regarding uh, the Fed. And we do have a number of speakers today, Fed. Uh, Steve.
6: Yeah, uh, Scott, uh, John Williams, the New York Fed president, a person we haven't heard from, recently saying he does not see any compelling reason to take a big step at the beginning. And that is telling reporters from a media briefing, essentially, uh, that he favors 25 basis points as opposed to 50 basis points. Very clear. We haven't heard that from him in the past. He said we may need to make a decision later to speed up or slow down. Uh, The market and the Fed, however, he says, are in agreement on the ultimate path of Fed funds being upwards and toward a neutral rate of two, two and a half percent. So, um, Scott, I know the market's really getting neck pain from the Ukraine story, the Fed story. Those are the two big stories animating the market right now. But in general, as we've been reporting the, the, the Fed story here is more of a 25 at the beginning rather than a 50. That has certainly been the way the market has traded. And I have to apologize to my good friend Josh Brown for cutting him off a second time in, a, in one half hour. <laughs> second time. You know, um, and I, I do wonder, Steve, though, right
1: there, there are two separate stories inherently, um, obviously the Fed yeah. and then Russia, Ukraine. But I have to believe that there is crossover effect to some degree, uh, the impact on energy prices, causing even more inflation from, you know, energy price escalation. And then there's also the, the potential just more disruption to supply chain issues. Uh, a war anywhere in Europe is not good for
6: an environment that is already uh, suffering some issues. I think you're asking the right questions, uh uh Scott, and, you know, the extent to which the war concern, I believe the way I've watched the market trade, does trump the Fed concern here. That's for sure. But you have economic issues that could flow. From uh, what happens in Ukraine, you could have greater inflation for a lot of the reasons you just mentioned there. um, And you could have uh, really ricochets back towards on this side of the Atlantic from what happens there. And you'll note, Scott, that the word geopolitical was in the Fed minutes from uh, back in January uh, four times in the last minutes. And that is increasingly part of the regular rhetoric that is being talked about by Fed officials as they're looking at this. And that's another reason, at least at the moment, to go slow.
1: Yeah. All right, Steve. We appreciate it. Uh, Josh Brown forgives you for certain. Uh, We're back right after this.
0: The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
4: What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash find your rich. Edward Jones,
0: member SIPC.
1: Let's take a look at shares of Shake Shack down about five and two thirds percent. Josh Brown comes after earnings. I wonder what your take is here it was down a lot more Kramer made the argument today that the idea that it was down 10% earlier was just too
3: much yeah i mean it's 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 almost irrelevant this was going to be down no matter what because find me a company that reports earnings and goes up that really doesn't exist right now yeah, um, true. if you want to sell the stock because of if you want to sell the stock because of omicron that's your prerogative i think it's stupid the stock belongs much higher. Um, I've been in it for a while. I'm up in the name. It's been as high as 130 in, recent, in the recent past. Uh, I don't know if it's worth that much, but certainly it's not worth this little. So it's a tiny market cap, sub $3 billion. I would argue the brand value alone is like half of that. So this is a company that always struggles when there's a wave of this stupid pandemic. We are getting over the fact that this pandemic is gonna be forever. I don't think the stock's going to keep reacting every time there's a wave going forward. So um, I, I don't think today's action is particularly meaningful. I'm long. I think there's a bright let future me, ahead. Let me ask
1: you. Let me ask you it a little more nuanced then. Um, how much of the 45% decline? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to ask you anyway. You could call it whatever you want and answer however you have to. Um, All right. How much of the 45 percent decline from the 52 week high is due to Omicron or Omicron uh, packaged along with you know, questions about growth, uh, et cetera? Uh,
3: there aren't any questions about growth. The company is successfully opening new locations, has great uh, momentum outside of these uh, these little waves like Delta and Omicron. Anytime they get a chance to report Uh, same-store sales when there's not a virus on the upswing, the numbers are fantastic. And if you want evidence of that, look what they just said about February, 13% same-store sales in the month of February. Uh, Why? Well, Omicron started to decline. So again, if you want to bet against this company or sell your position because uh, we had an uptick in in the virus in December and January that has now completely collapsed, you can do that. I don't invest in the rearview mirror. Um, I'm thinking about this company as being significantly larger, global, better equipped for digital online ordering, etc. And they really seem to be doing more right than they are wrong. And I think the results reflect that. So uh, I, I I love the company. I'm completely biased. I've already told you that. <laughs> so this is this I is know. A, a biased take. I know. But I I would be long the stock.
1: Just. <laughs> Just don't get any burger grease on the lilac, okay? It looks very nice. (laughs) Thank you. I will try not to. Okay. We'll do final trades next. All right, let's do final trades. Jason Snipe, you're first. Yeah. So I I like Adv here,
5: another strong print earlier this month, 13% EPS growth. And a nice dividend of above 4%. I like, I like it in this market here.
1: All right, appreciate it. Uh, Shannon?
2: Big week for retail next week, Scott. My pick is Home Depot. I love the adjacency to the housing market, mm-hmm. um, and they've already done the work in terms of their e-commerce platform.
1: Yeah, I do have a lot of uh, retailers reporting next week. Depot, Macy's, Lowe's, TJX, Foot Locker. We'll be all over that, of course, next week. Uh, Stephanie Link?
4: Cisco. This is quality on sale. The stock is down 10% year to date. They just posted a great quarter, 14 billion in backlog, third quarter in a row of 30% plus product order growth. They announced a new buyback as well, mm-hmm. 2.7% dividend yield as, as well. I like that one.
3: Okay, Josh Brown. Josh Brown. Uh, stick, sticking with Amazon. Happy to see uh, more recognition for how undervalued the company might be. All
1: right, great stuff. Thanks for watching the exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.
0: People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation.